Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ready to get your glitter on? Then head to Worlds of Fun Grand Carnival from July 23rd through August 7th for a larger-than-life shimmering celebration. Join the spectacle of color, a dazzling parade of floats, performers, music, and beads that sweeps across the park. And take your taste buds on a world tour while dancing to music after dark. Save over 45% with the Carnival Bundle, which includes admission, parking, and three food tastings. Only at worldsoffun.com. Your free Blue Room podcast is on the way shortly, but before we do get started, we'd just like to give you a little reminder that for those of you who want a little bit more from us, there is a lot more on offer. In 2019, there will be tons to come from our subscription service over on the Blue Room Extra. That's www.patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. Every week, that service is bursting with content. It includes exclusive shows for subscribers, including our preview upcoming matches with supporters and journalists, you know, Everton's opponents inside out. We also offer a European football show, an academy watch focusing on the toffees you've set up and the lads out on loan, as well as a weekly mailbag where we take your questions. It's three ninety nine a month to become part of our Patreon community, and it's a subscription you can stop whenever you'd like. Last year, in 2018, it worked out at around 13p a show. We do appreciate the constant support we receive from those of you who listen to our free audio, and there will be much more available than ever for free in the coming months here at the Blue Room. But for those of you who would like to hear from us a little bit more, it's patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra. Thanks for your patience with this message. Now here's your podcast. It is the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. It is your weekly show, and unfortunately it's going to be another negative one after Everton's disappointing performance at the weekend. Uh, in part two, we'll speak to Andy Hunter from The Guardian and get his assessment on what's going on. That's from our subscribers' weekly show over on Patreon. And start of part three, we'll hear from Gav Buckland, who had a chat with earlier this week about Harry Catterick and what was his 100th birthday on Tuesday. Uh, but joining me in the studio now, Dave Downey. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? Hello, Matt. I'm OK. How are you? Very well. Well, all right. All right. All right. Connor O'Neill, Connor, how are you? Surviving. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Mickey Horton's back off the boat again to come and join us. Um, Do you wish you you were back on the high seas, Mickey, after Saturday? I'd be home. Optimistic. Even after Saturday? Absolutely. Got to crack on Evertonian, mate. You've got to be optimistic. Used to it by now. Too much time at sea. Too much sea, anything. There's a a lot for us to get through today. Obviously, a lot will centre around the manager and what's coming next, um, which I sort of want to leave for, for part two and three. Um, I, I want to talk about the, the actual game itself on, on Saturday to start off with Mickey and the performance of, of the players. Um, I think in the build to this game, when we speak on the shows, we all sort of said this is, in fact, like a weird game, this, and one that we'd all sort of forgotten about given what's coming next. And we've been focused on this bank of five solid games we've got. And there's a little bit of concern that there's a bit of complacency. We're sort of overlooking it a bit. And it sort of bore out on the pitch, didn't it, on it Saturday? Did, mate. I think we, uh, I certainly fell into the trap. I put a load of my Everton players into my dream team, thinking <laughs> we were going to get a bag full. I think, obviously, as fans, you know, you go up, Norwich at home, the whipping boys. Uh, and I think 
it spilled over onto the pitch. I think the players felt exactly the same. Um, you could see that we were, you know, off the pace straight away. I thought after the first five or ten minutes, I thought we're in trouble here because you could see that there was just absolutely just complacency throughout the whole team. And I think even within the stadium, it was like it was flat again, wasn't it? You know, I think the, the stadium seemed pretty flat. Um, and I think it was one of them where it was a case of, which usually is the Everton way, is that we need to go a game, a goal down before we kick in. But even when we went a goal down, there was still nothing. There was nothing there. There was really, really... And we weren't creating nothing. And mm. you've got to remember, this is against Norwich, um, who, as I say, being whipping boys, they haven't been scoring goals. Mm-hmm. Um Really, really sad. Really sad. And it just, you know, I think as the game went on, we were never going to score. And I think we've just spoke about it then. Norwich were comfortable. But it wasn't even a case of we were unlucky. They were by far the better team. And, you know, if it wasn't for Pickford, it could have been more. Yeah, I, I agree with what Mickey said there. I think it was just dire from start to finish. It was, I mean, it summed up for me in the first half where we, we kind of had a bit of a ricochet in the box and the, the ball fell to Tosin. And he dragged the shot wide, so far wide that went for throwing. And people, cla- and people clapped yeah. because it was the most exciting thing that we'd done all game and that kind of summed up for me how, how bad it was when you know we're applauding our striker having a shot that goes for a throw-in you know it's, yeah. it, it was it was pretty desperate and I think you know I think the tactics become more and more desperate as the game went on I know we went you know 4-4-2 I think towards the end of the calvert Loom come on over half an hour to go actually um, but it just seemed like it was just like let's lump the ball forwards and drowning flick-ons and you know it was just in some respects it was you know Hello, Sunday League style tactics and yeah. just pure desperation. And the only safe and greatest thing for Silver a little bit is that we only got beat 2 0 because, you know, they could have been 3 0 up at half time. You know, they cut us open twice and, you know, Campbell had to hold the shot what takes a nick off yeah. Schneidlin, which looked probably destined for the top corner if it, if it didn't. And, you know, even, even second half, they had, a, they had a couple of good moments where Pucky held the ball up well. And, you know, that was the big thing for me is, you know, you look at that Pucky up top and, okay, people are devised on him. But he bullied us who sent it ass all yeah. game. You know, they, he, he held the ball. I mean, the, the, the first goal, he, he wins the ball, holds the two of them off and then plays the ball, the ball in. And you, you watch you look at us up top and, you know, we've got three centre-forwards and I don't think any of them have got a bone in the body to, to bully anyone. Yeah. You know, Moise Keane never got on. Tosin tried hard. And as I say, Calvert-Lewin come on just to basically win flick-ons, didn't he? And mm. it was just dire from start to finish and the toxic atmosphere at the end said, said it all for me. And, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think during the game as well, David... The atmosphere, it was one of those classic after the international break games where, you know, often the team don't play particularly well, everyone's a bit grumpy, it's, you know, starts to get a little bit anxious when things aren't going well. But sometimes everything gets through those games and they manage to scrape a, a win. But as, as the atmosphere got more and more anxious, as the fans started to get more and more frustrated, I said this on our Subs Weekly show on Tuesday, it just felt to me as though the players all shirked and shrunk into the worst version of themselves. And Pickford's distribution was was terrible. You know, the two centre-backs, you know, the issues about Holgate's physicality came up. Mina's concentration came up. Schneidlin's mm. commitment to the cause, it came up as well. Sigurdsson, invisible. You, go, you could go through everyone in that side and say, that the thing you have in your head about that player that you don't like, it was there on the pitch. It came to fruition on the pitch on, on, a, on Saturday. And it all happened with the manager as well. All the things that you don't like about Marco Silva and you know the way in which he sets his team up at times, the way in which he gets desperate with his substitutions, mm-hmm. it just all manifested into one mess on the pitch and this this horrible vision of what you have in your head about what everything could be when they're at the worst and all the tropes of it were there. Mm, it, was, it was like a spot that had been on the verge of bursting for a long time, <laughs> wasn't it? And then somebody finally squeezed it hard enough and it all come out in its um, all of its glory and... Yeah, I mean, I think that's an excellent way of putting it. I think you're seeing the worst of everybody all culminated into 90 minutes. There's nobody from that who can take any credit. You know, when your team loses, there's normally one or two you think, you know what, they probably didn't deserve to be on the losing side there. But categorically, 1 to 11 plus all the subs, there there was nothing there for me to suggest that any of them could get into that Norwich side. And you looked at that game and thought, which team's bottom of the league in this game right now? And that's where we're at, and it's it's really scary thought. Um, he, again, goes to this well all the time, doesn't he, when he gets these games that are on the brink. We've had, I think, three off the top of my head this season. One was Wolves earlier on. The second one was uh, West Ham at home, which we came through in flying colours, to be fair. Mm. And the last one was Southampton before Norwich, which was on a knife edge when it got back to one all. We scored a really good winning goal, and then... You know, it looks as if then you're thinking, right, can we string two results together? 
for once the international break probably come at the the wrong time. It, it's come at the right time in, in, in previous months for us, hasn't it? Because we've often lost the game beforehand yeah. and then got some sort of reinvigoration over that period, come back and, and generally done much better or, or won the game after the international break because you had the chance to work with the players. This time, that looked like all of that was thrown out the window in that two weeks. And I, I do question what was going on in terms of any sort of tactical negligence looking at Norwich, maybe thinking that, well, we only have to turn up here because they're that poor of a side. They haven't won in seven games. We should beat this side simply by just turning up. And that's not how the Premier League works. We should know that by now. Marco Silva should know that above all else, given the clubs that he's been at when they've suffered failures like we're going through right now. Mm. And then each of those games, those ones where he's taken us right to the very end where you thought... If he loses this, he's going to lose his job. Or at the very least, he's under an imminent threat of being sacked. We've won those games. Mm. Those three I've just mentioned there. And it eases the pressure to a certain extent. People might still want him gone mid to long term. But they will appreciate that we've won a game of football. You can watch match of the day again and possibly enjoy a drink <laughs> on a Saturday night. And that's what fans generally feel like they're in it for when we're in situations like this. But then when you get to this Norwich game, that was another one of those. That that Southampton and Norwich, those two games come as a pair for me. Given what we've got to come in December, I said, tongue-in-cheek, but it's probably true, and even more so now, that this was our last chance of winning a game, basically, until Christmas. Um, obviously, that's not true, and I really hope and pray it's not true. <laughs> uh, Jamie Carragher was very good on this last night, on the video that's been doing the rounds, saying that he thoroughly expects Everton to be in the bottom three uh, by Christmas. I'm inclined to agree with that particularly if we stick with the manager, but the more worrying thing is it might, we might even be there even if we don't because we could go to Leicester and Anfield and play out of our skin and still lose those games. We're probably the better side at Anfield and look what happened last season. Mm. Those things are prone to happening to a club like ours who isn't clinical when they get chances in games, particularly at bigger clubs, and they can't keep the back door shut either and, and it looks as leaky as ever mm. right now, doesn't yeah. it? So for that, that reason, very roundabout way of saying it, I feel as if this was one of those... Brink games, he went to the well to get everybody in support behind him once again, which they come up trumps the other times he's had to do that, and they were found wanting, and this is the first time I thought, yeah, these might well have lost faith in this fella now, um, whereas the other ones, they thoroughly backed him, you could see that with the performance, this one against Norwich, there was none of that, and it felt to me like the writing was on the wall pretty early in that game. I think we're in such a tricky position as well, because we've sat here in the studio, uh, Matt, when Marco Silva was appointed and we've had the conversation and we all agreed we cannot keep churning over manager after manager mm. after manager, mm. managers coming in with other people's players and stuff. We've said we're going to have to stick with this guy now, no matter what, pretty much. Are we in a position where is, is our backs that much against the wall where he has got to go? I think we've got to look at it sensibly. I think you've got to take emotion out of it because I think, obviously, as you say, the stadium mm. was, was toxic at the yeah. end of the game it's the timing more than anything as well with the games as Dave just said the big games that we've got coming up you know you could throw whoever in there you could throw a Mourinho in there you know a magician you, you know, we're going to struggle to get anything out of these games and I think that is going to be important if there is another man coming in because obviously it's always nice if a new gaffer comes in you want an easy-ish game, yeah. don't you? To, yeah. to get sort of confidence going and stuff like that. Straight away, the gaffer... You certainly want a home game. At least, you know, yeah, 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 at least. You know, yeah, whoever this new guy coming in is straight away, we're going to be under pressure because, you know, as Dave said, we're not. We're really going to struggle to get... You know, there's not even one game where I can think, you know, we might scrape a draw out of that. We're yeah. playing teams who are banging form and I think it's a, it's a worst-case scenario for us at the moment. Um, and I... As much as I don't want to, I just think our only option really, probably at the moment, is to stick with who we've got. And I don't want, and, and it hurts me to say that because mm. I know how bad we are, but I just don't see a solution by bringing someone else in. It, it feels, Connor, you know, being in the ground on Saturday, Mickey's right. It, it just, it just felt like that was it for me in regards to you know all the tropes were there of a manager that has, has lost. You know, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say the players have stopped playing for, and maybe maybe doubts have, have creeped in, like Dave said. I, I don't think they're throwing them under the bus with the performances. I think there is still effort there, but it just feels to me like one of those situations now where there's no right way of doing this necessarily. I think you could you could get rid of Silver and you could bring in um, someone like you know David Moyes is the favourite. So let, let, let's go down that route that that route, and you're putting them in two hard games. And you could easily get two heavy defeats in those matches, and all of a sudden it's 
the tides turned on him and people saying why have we got the, why have we got this fella back. But then the situation we're in now and the situation that looks like the club are going to go with, where it seems by all intents and purposes, Marco Silva is a dead man walking based on what the reports are saying. It's time it's time for the football club is is not long, but he's still here. Everybody knows he's a dead man walking. He knows he's a dead man walking. The players do, the fans do. And he's got to prepare for a hard <laughs> top two in the league away from home in the next couple of games. Well, and it's, it's It must be a horrible situation for everybody at the football club with that in mind. Well, it's just... It's it's unfavourable, really, isn't it? The position we're in. Because the manager's position is untenable. You know, the fans have, 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 have gone against them. I know what you're saying about the players, but you, you can't say that on Saturday. You know, effort. Yeah. Effort was basic, wasn't it? You know, there wasn't no one really... So and the players now probably looking at think about he's going because you just look you know you look around the place he's going to go so then you're looking at it now and you know you're almost thinking well I think you were tweeting after the match saying no David Moyes you know incoming basically and it it does feel that way and I, I just think we're almost now just setting him up to to fail really I think it almost just feels like we're kind of saying oh you know you you know what I mean Michelle said a couple of years ago didn't he about expected losses when yeah. when Cumin got got. When Cumin was under pressure, he said, well, we've only had one expected loss, and that was against Burnley. Basically, you know, well, when we play the top teams, we don't expect to beat them anyway. So it almost feels as if like we're back in that sort of thing of thinking of where yeah. it's like, well, we'll just send them to Leicester, send them, probably send them to Anfield. And they'll probably get the Chelsea game as well, to be honest, because you think of, you know, it's Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday lunchtime. It's tight, tight turnarounds in terms mm. of you, you, if he gets, you know, if he gets the derby, you, you're going to sack him Thursday morning. You bring someone in, then we probably get one training session with the players to go again. So you probably think, oh, well, we'll just stick with them and then mm. do Chelsea. And it just feels like he's being set up to fail. The, the club are almost like writing the next three games off in terms of like, well, yeah. no one expects us to get anything anyway. So we'll just, you know, we'll ride with it, see if we get anything if we don't. And for me, the big thing for me was, you know, the line that come out on, you know, it was a Sunday night, Monday morning. It was like the, the club are considering a change. Well, that's just absolutely ludicrous because as a football club, as a board, you either back your manager and say, no, we're sticking by him. We've had a rough couple of weeks, mm. but we back him. We think we think you'll get it right, or you sack him. You, you can't say we're considering a change, because what does that do for him? What does that do for the players? What does that do for the fans? You, you're basically saying, well, we probably do want to sack him, but we just don't want to sack him right now, so yeah. we're going to consider a change. It's just, it's absolute car crash. And I think, you know, Andy Hunter said it, didn't he, on, on his piece on the subs weekly, where he said, no, there's no there's no leadership at the top. So how's there going to be leadership at the bottom? You know, yeah. The board the boardroom seems a mess. The the, the you know the the, the eleven players got a pitch on a Saturday. Most of the season's been a mess. Everything's just a mess. And someone at the club needs to take control. And someone at the club needs to you know sort of grab the the ball by the horns and and start you know putting things into action because we can't go on like this. It's, 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 we're we're a laughing stock. You know what I mean? We're, we're getting away a little bit because of Arsenal and Newman Emery. Yeah. And. The fact that they're in a similar position to us, where it feels as though he's just sort of that one game away from being sacked. But the only difference I'd say there is, is he's had the, the dread of voter confidence, where the club come out and basically said, or briefed the media and said, yeah. we're sticking with him. You know, don't, don't don't think we're sacking him anytime soon. We're not interested in putting the Mourinho's manager. We're sticking with him. You know, Silver's not even had that. Silver's Silver's had the <laughs> because there's a change, which basically means your position's untenable. But we want to stay on because we've got no one else lined mm. up. Mm. And for me, it's just it's just a mess and. I cannot believe that we're in a position again where it seems we've got no plan moving forward. Mm. Because, and and you you can't even turn around and say, well, you know, you shouldn't be planning to sack your manager. We should have a, a, a succession plan anyway. Because say Silverwood started this season yeah. and he'd either, either got us off to a flying start and then Porto would have come knocking. Porto might have had a bad start and he would have blown away with the chance to go and manage them. And he goes. We need a contingency plan for someone to come in then. So, yeah. so you've got to dive well, to the football. You've got people, you know, we, you can't, how we haven't got a contingency plan, or I don't know, you know, there's just certain rumours out there that things aren't just falling, things are just not falling into place at the minute, and that's why. But for me, it just seems like we've got no plan. It's just a shambles. Yeah, I think they should have been having those conversations over the summer, shouldn't they, Dave? Anyway, you know, I think, I think an elite football club will be big thinking ambition does have those conversations over the summer. They will critically assess, you know, we all finish the season on a high, but. I think if you're being ruthless about last season, you look at the you know the aspects of the start and that and that Christmas period, and like Connor said, I think you're absolutely spot on, mate. You know, one of the other things Andy Hunter said on Subs Weekly is that it feels like the writing's been on the wall for this since the Sheffield United game at home, mm. and you know, foundations, you know, plans, whatever you want to call it, should have been put in place from from that point on, and we're sort of sat here now. And to me, the fact that Marco Silva still at the football club. 
says one of two things. The club haven't planned well enough for this eventuality or they haven't got enough conviction in the fact that they want to replace him with to get results at mm-hmm. Leicester or Liverpool. It's difficult to follow what you both said there because I think it is spot on. The other thing I'd like to point out though, um, and if there are any people left in his camp supporting him right now as part of the fan base, which you can probably be able to count on one hand, what I mean by that is yeah. if you were to ask Marco Silva what he thinks has gone wrong in his heart of hearts and it, you know, on a personal level and there was no one reporting it or whatever I'm pretty sure he would say he would feel left out, let, let down by the lack of recruitment in key areas in the summer that's not all down to him um, nonetheless Questions need to also be asked here of Marcel Brands. They do. We all had a great time and a great laugh over the last year or so, talking about his acquisitions, talking about his his style and his his, his character and his <laughs> strut and all that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. We all had fun with that, but when it comes down to actual substance, and it takes situations like this for us to actually assess that as a fan base, and I think that's a that's a an underlying problem that's been there for a while. Um, we'll get carried away with certain narratives. And it'll mean that actual results and performances aren't as important because they'll either be brushed under the carpet by the fact that people say, oh, well, you know, it takes time to build a side and whatever. I think that attitude has to change from, from all of us, basically, because it's very easy to get carried away. If we would this, throw this out, if we were to go and win at Anfield under Marco Silva, probably guarantees him till the end of the season in the in the mind of many people. Yeah, that's probably right. And and, and that's that's our way of thinking, which we have to deal with. And, and and that needs to be sorted out at some point as well. Certainly ahead of when we move to the new stadium, which will need new thinking from everybody concerned with the football club. But yeah, it's been negligent. And it's been like this since Farhad Mashiri come in. Now, I know people were hesitant to ever criticise Mashiri for the money that he's put in. Well, you know, I could win a couple of billion not sure how, but I could have a couple of billion in my back pocket. It doesn't mean that I'm the person. Tell us in the break what your ideas and, and, are. And I, yeah. and I could give that money to a football club and say, go and spend it. It doesn't mean they're going to spend it well. And that is still his responsibility. It's his money that he's put into the football club. But it's also his people he's brought in by now. Exactly. So that is on him. And and look, people, the first thing many Evertonians fire back when you say something like that is, oh, well, didn't see you saying this about Bill Kenwright. Well, Yes, we have. Many people have had their issues with Bill Kenwright over the years. I've had an issue with Bill Kenwright over the years. I don't think he's particularly favourable, in, in, in my opinion, as a character of the football club. He was once, but I think there's been errors along the way, ones that have cost us big time. King's Dock, that's for another time. But I think that you, you, you do have to take some accountability here. And that's been an issue at our football club for many years, not just since Machiri, but since he's come in and we're, we're knocking out this sort of money on players and wasting it, absolutely throwing it up against the wall um, to see nothing really return for it. it it's a collective yeah. responsibility from a top-down structure. Machiri, Brands, then Silver. Hmm. You know, you put the money in, okay, I ensure it's spent responsibly, but that hasn't happened. Marcel Brands, I ensure I go and buy the right players. Up for debate whether that's happened. And Marco Silva, you do well with what we've bought for you. We've spent £200 million, what's the problem? There's a collective responsibility here. And I'm not defending Marco Silva Mm. to that end, but just changing a manager doesn't necessarily solve everything for us. Well, I think that's the interest, and I want to talk about that a bit after the break in regards to who's actually making this decision and who's making the decision on the new manager. So we'll get into that after the break here on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. We are back on the Blue Room on Radio City Talk, and we'll hear from the lads again shortly. But before we do... Get back into that discussion earlier on this week on Subscribers Weekly over on Patreon. On Blue Room X, we spoke to The Guardian's Andy Hunter. He provided his assessment on what's going on at Everton at the moment. Started off by asking Andy whether he feels as though there's a split in the Everton boardroom at the moment between Farah Bashiri, Bill Kenwright and Marcel Brands. I think it was interesting listening to um, Jamie Carragher on Monday Night Football talking about Everton and he, I mean, I, I don't know in regards to who's got any inside information when it comes to this, but he was very much assertive in saying that the, the board split at the moment and, you know, you've covered Everton for, for a long time now, you've done a, a lot of reporting around the football club. D- do you get that sense that there is ruptures in the boardroom based on the different reports that are coming out, the manner of the reports that are coming out? I wouldn't say like you know the the board split in the sense that it's not speaking to each other or anything like that. But the impression you get is that 
uh, well, bluntly, Bill Kenwright is, is, was quite keen to have David Moyes back in charge and um, Farhad Mashiri and Marcel Brands are not. Uh, and I think that that's where it all stems from, really. Um, I think, to be honest, which kind of shows the dysfunction at the heart of Everton. I mean, I don't think Everton is a, is a well-run club from the very top and I think that permeates right down to you know, to what you see on a Saturday. Um, and I think, you know, having people in those positions voicing different opinions and even having a say on, on things like this shows that the, you know, the, the dysfunction that's there. They've appointed Marcel Brands as director of football and put him on the board because of how highly they regard him. So, and basically, let's be honest, Marcus Silva's been one bad home result away from mm. everyone turning on him for over two months, as far as I'm concerned, since the Sheffield United game. So, you know, they probably had, they should have had Marcel Brands, you know, out there scouring the market, tapping people up, seeing what's going on for over two months now. Uh, and if it's, if it's just limping onto this position where they don't know what to do, mm. I mean, that, that just shows that, that you know, it's, 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 there's no clear thinking there, or unless they genuinely think that uh, Marco Silva can turn it around, uh, which, you know, they, they were left in no doubt what uh, most of the fans who, who were still in the ground by the time the final whistle went on Saturday, uh, they, they, no doubt what, what their opinion is on that score. Yeah, I think it's, you know, from, from what you're saying there, maybe sounds a bit like there's, there's a few fellas there who were just not totally keen on relinquishing control, and you know, you say about Marcel Brands there, and I was sort of very much of under the impression that when he came into the football club as a director of football, that that's what he would be doing. He would he would be directing the football, and and like you said there, the fact that he was put on the board seems to suggest that there's, there's full faith in there. Um, but all the indications are that if Marcus Silva does go, it would be David Moyes. That doesn't seem to to align with with what Marcel Brands is about at all. It's not. I mean, it, it undermines his position as well, uh, and it basically, you know, but. I can see people, you know, the argument that, you know, Moyes gets the club and he would bring a bit of, you know, fight and commitment back, which is obviously painfully lacking in the team at the moment. But you either trust Marcel Brands to run the football operations properly or you you impede in what he, he does. I mean, I know his Marco Silva, you know, technically he was, you know, officially installed as Everton manager after Marcel Brands came into the club, but that deal was, you know, that was 99% done before Marcel Brands came in. So you've got a director of football who, if he doesn't get a say on the next manager or, in, or whatever the club goes now, is dealing with the most important relationship at the club. He's not had a say in, in who he's actually dealing with. Yeah. Uh, so they either back Marcel Brands' football judgment and given you know, the disastrous appointments that Farhad Mashiri has made and, and with Bill Kenwright alongside him, then you'd think... You think you would leave it up to him because you know the you know the uh, the track record of appointments at the minute is uh, is abysmal. Before we chat about Marco Silva, I just wanted to speak about the, the actual game on Saturday as well. Um, you were there, Andy, in in the press box um, on the performance to begin with. After the game, I said on a few of our shows that I'm struggling to remember Everton playing that bad at Goodison Park for for a long time. Um, where, where would you, you know, it's, it's horrible to even be talking like this, but where would you rank that display in, in some of the bad ones they've had recently? I don't know. I don't know if you could put it bottom because it seemed to me like something that recurs every hmm. every now and then. You'll always get a, an Everton performance like that. Just when you think, I'm not saying Everton came into the game absolutely flying, but you know, you think like three games unbeaten, a couple of wins, the away win at Southampton, you know, just starting to, Forced their way around that corner, but and then these performances just keep cropping up again and again, where they're just completely insipid, clueless, weak, passionless, and you just think it's there all the time. They just how they can get over that. It, it, it that reflects the character of the players as much as the failings of the manager too. I mean, because they're the ones who are. They're the they're the constant there as well. Um, the managers keep changing, but a lot of the players are, are you know, a constant there. So I'm not sure. I'd, I'd say knowledge was the worst I've seen in years, but it was just you know another atrocious one. 
Yeah, really interesting stuff there from Andy Hunter. If you want to hear more of that, the full interview is over on Patreon at the Blue Room Extra. Um, interesting what you were saying there, Mickey, in regards to the decision-making going on at the football club and how it's very much, it seems like, Bill Kenwright, who is pushing for David Moyes, um, Marcel Brands and Farah Mashiri aren't so keen on, on bringing um, Moyes back to the club. Um, who should be making this decision in regards to sacking the manager and appointing the new one? It should be Mishiri, shouldn't it? For me, he's the... Do you think so? I, I think even so. The, even yeah. with Brands there? Yeah, I th- well, I, he's the one who's he's, he's put his money where his mouth is, isn't he? He's, he's appointed Brands, hasn't he? I think Ken Wright is still there. We were just talking then. Ken had still got the whole nostalgia thing of, of the connection that he's got with David Moyes. But for me, Mishiri's the owner of our club. Um, now I'm not saying he's obviously you know he's not the most intelligent as in football wise, but he's the one who's who's, who's put his money up. Um, so I think probably obviously he's brought Brands in as as the director of football as well. So I think he also should have an input. I think they need to say to Ken right, go and get yourself or we go Christmas shopping, get yourself <laughs> off. They leave this down to us, hmm. you know. Um, so for me, it's it's going to be Mishiri. We were just obviously just literally flipping back there from what you were saying before. I'm not backing. It's not a case that I'm backing Silver. I think it's our lack of options worry me. Okay. You know, if we for me Benitez is the man to walk into. If I have, he's my number one choice. If we could get Benitez tomorrow, I'd say let Silver go. But it's the fact that we've got such a lack of options there, and I'm frightened. Obviously, from what happened last year with bringing Allardyce in, I don't want a stopgap. You know, and I don't yeah. just want a yes man to come in. Um, so it's it's all lack of options. But yeah, uh, obviously for me, who's making the decisions or who should make the decision, I think it should be Mishiri. I think the interesting thing for me, Connor, is that there's clearly a lot of faith in Marcel Brands because the football club have put him on the board, which is almost unprecedented for a director of football in any walk of life to be on the board. So I think that, that in itself is a message to Marcel Brands saying we've got a lot of faith in you here. And I think in, in classic director of football models, the standard director of football models, it would be the manager. Sorry, it would be the director of football who makes the decision on the head coach or, or the manager and the style of football and all, and all that kind of thing. And obviously, plays that come in as well. If you're Marcel Brands, you must be getting a few mixed messages in regards to all this, mustn't you? Well, I, I just go back to what Mick said there about Machiri. I don't think either Ken Wright or Machiri should be making this call. I think it should be Marcel Brands or Marcel Brands only. Mm. I think if you're in that position in which he is, you know, like you said, he's, he's clearly got the faith of the people. At the club around him to clearly believe in what he's doing because he wouldn't be in. Well, well, has he? That's, he, that's the well, thing. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't be given the roles yeah. he was, would he, and the responsibilities that he has. And I, you know, I think, you know, you do wonder, don't you, in, in these talks and you know, the, and, and these moments, what, what is Marcel Brands doing? Is he just that you stood in the middle of Bill Kenwright and Machete having a debate and having an argument on who's going to be next? Is he just sat there saying, well, you know, you basically decide and I'll just work with whoever? For me, I think he, if that is the case, I, I, and I hope it isn't, I think he's going to have a stronger voice. I think he's got a be forthright and he's got to basically say to both of them look look, you know you you guys have you know far had if, if Silver goes that's three managerial appointments under Machete that have all yeah. you know pretty much backfired I mean, we've, we've had to pay off basically to leave the club Ken Wright is probably just looking at the nostalgia David Moyers you know I think they've, they've whether they've still got the same relationship they once did when he was at the club I'm not too sure because you know, I can't imagine what Moyers done when he did move to Man United in the, the Baines and Flames yeah. stuff probably went down well um, but he will be thinking, well, you know, he's, he knows the club, he knows the people, you know, he's been here before, we trust him 100%. But for me, I think Marcel Brands has, has got to take control. I think he's, he's got to look to take control and he's got to, you know, start probably selling, selling people on that board some home truths. Hmm. Because for, for so long, it just seems like a little bit of a fantasy land where we just keep thinking everything's going to be all right. You know, Farad says after the game on Saturday to, to fans outside Goodison, we will have better days. Well, that's just a, another cheap throwaway comment, yeah. isn't it, by him? Which, you know, you know, Machiri seems to be the king of the soundbite, doesn't he? He says a lot of good things and, you know, yeah. he has a lot of good intentions, but nothing's ever, ever really come to fruition yet. And we're still looking at a team that's struggling. We're still, you know, nowhere near where we want to be. And I think Marcel Brands has left the football. He's got to take control. He's got to he's got to say to people, you know, look, I'm here to, 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 you know, to overhaul these things, you know. Marcel Brands has apparently overhauled everything else to club, so why isn't he looking at the first yeah. team, the first team coach, manager, you know, whatever position you want, you want to call it and... For me, I think it's got to be it's got to be Marcel Malbrand who, who appoints him because, like I say, you know we've got an owner. And he has put a lot of money in, but just because you're the owner and you put a lot of money in doesn't mean he has to make every decision. You know, you have to make. Sometimes you've got like, people with experience and mm. you know knowledge of the game, probably far greater knowledge than what Marsh Farhad Mashiri's got of football. Take control and, and make these decisions, and that's what we need to do now because we can't afford. We all we all believe that we Marcos Silva is eventually going to get sacked as ever manager. Yeah. You know, we all believe that. 
but we can't get this next appointment wrong. We we just can't. I mean, no, I agree. But e- I, even I the, even the stopgap appointments could yeah. go horribly long because there's no guarantee that it's going to work. You know, yeah. the, you look back that year when all this did come in, it was a lot different that year. Circumstances were different. The, the league was a lot less competitive. I'd probably say. You know, that night when Unsworth we beat West Ham four nil. We went to it was twelve four thirteen. Yeah. And then we won again and we were up into the top half. Now. It's not like that's a lot more competitive. I mean, you know, you look at the three promoted clubs, we've been beat by every one of them. We haven't yeah. scored a goal. Yeah. We've been beat 3 0 by it, 2 0 by it, all three, and we haven't scored a goal. So it's a lot more competitive. And you look at every, you know, you look at all the teams down here, you know, Southampton, we just edged past. Norwich have beat us. Watford, I think, will probably come rock bottom, if I'm being honest. But then again, you wouldn't bank against yeah. them. Change of manager again, you know yeah. what I mean? But we just edged past them in the cup. We edged past them at the start of the season. So. It's a big, it's a big, big couple of weeks coming up with the football club moving forward. Not just a long term in the immediate. Yeah, I was just going to say, literally in a perfect world, that would be the case. Um, but I just think as a business as well, which unfortunately that's the way we've gone in business. Money men have the last say. You look at all the big clubs, and it's usually the owners mm. who have come in, who have put the money where the mouth is, who make the decisions. I'm not saying that's right. I just think that might be the case here at Everton. I mean, it, it, it's such a, a mess from so many different angles. This the when, when you start to consider how you begin to sort it out, I'm not sure where you really start with it as well. Do you know what I mean? It, mm. it feels to me like, and, and I've done a couple of tongue-in-cheek tweets about this today, which I haven't gone down too well with certain <laughs> people, but I was I was genuinely <laughs> Nothing new there, Dave. No, there, no. Yeah. Um, about how I don't really care what the price of success is. I'm willing to pay it as an almost 32-year-old man who's never seen success for us, except for when I was a... A little lad, um, and it feels to me that we seem so reluctant to see what others do well and maybe try and replicate it a little bit, not all of it, but look around you and see how others have done it when they've picked up the level of investment that we have. Hmm. And look, I'm not saying there's a magic one to get it right. If you think back to clubs who, who've had that investment, and I understand ours isn't on that level whatsoever, but when Chelsea first got theirs. Remember the flops they signed in that first season, mm-hmm. like Matthias Kesman, uh, Veron, who was on his way out, Petit. They went a bit crazy. But what they soon learned was how to, Im- and this is Abramovich, how to implement a model in the club where he knew there was a chain of command that, where it would work. Mm-hmm. And I felt we'd got that right in the appointment of Marcel Brands. But when you see what's happening now, it, it's it's not the case, is it? It's, it's, it's obvious that... He've appointed this guy to the board, which I believe was done because I think other clubs were sniffing around him after his first year with us was so successful with the acquisitions mm. we made. And I feel they've, they've said, OK, right, we need to safeguard his future here, put him on the board as director of football. When he's got that role, that should mean football, the book, stops with him. It's quite clear right now it doesn't stop with him at all. And it seems to me that when everything's fine and dandy, Mishiri, Bill Kenwright, whoever else is on the board, Denise Barrett-Baxendale is able to say to Marcel Brands, right, OK, Marcel, you, you're responsible for the day-to-day running, recruitment, young players, how they leave, when we bring people in and all that sort of thing, fine. When it comes to something as big as the manager, I think they pull rank and think, right, that's not a decision I want him to make when it should be his decision to make. And I think that's the disparity we find ourselves in right now. Bill Kenwright is... Obviously, a contentious figure at our football club, um, and he would be. Me and Connor were talking before we come on, and he would have a right to say to Mashiri right now, okay, well, the last couple of managers you've picked, you picked Marco Silva, you went hell for leather to get him. Um, we know that because of the mm. pursuit of him from Watford a year earlier, um, and we know you picked Sam Allardyce because, well, as far as I know, Bill Kenwright didn't want anything to do with that. Uh, and you've seen when Sam Allardyce was unveiled as Everton manager, it was Mashiri that did yeah. it. It was, I think, it was Denise Barrett-Baxendale that did it as well. Mm. It was, it was people who you wouldn't expect. Whereas normally Bill's there, arm around the shoulder, we'll get you in the Champions League, all that <laughs> sort of rhetoric comes out. Um, so Ronald Koeman was far from well. his point yeah. of view. He would be saying now, and I'm not too sure who has the final say here. Obviously, it should be Mashiri being the owner of the football club, but he'll be sitting there thinking, well, 
why don't I get to choose what happens next year? Because you've cocked up the last two. Well, how many shares does he have? How many shares does he actually have in the football? I mean, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it's minimal it's, now, isn't it's, well, it? It's it is. 80, 80 and 7, 80% and 7%, isn't it? I think yeah, he's, that's the he's basically got a figurehead position now at the football club, but nonetheless, he still seems to have a hell of a lot of sway. And it feels as if Denise Barrett-Baxendale was his appointment. So if you look at the board structure, I think we have four, f- five board members. Mashiri mm. isn't one of them. Yeah. So he doesn't get a vote on these things. The others would be Ryaz and Seth, uh, Brands, Brands, Ken Wright, Ken Wright. Is Denise on the board? Yeah, Denise, Denise is yeah. obviously on yeah. the board. And is it um, Keith? Keith Harris, Harris has left, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, Keith Harris has gone, yeah. One other who's on there, whose name escapes me right now. Manchester? No, no not anymore. Um, anyway, Machiri doesn't have a say when it comes to voting on matters such as this. It's surely there's something wrong with that when the fella owns seventy odd percent of a football club and he doesn't have a say on the board. Yet it's just a scattergun approach, isn't it? it? Seems like okay, Farhad, you're going to deal with that. I'm going to deal with this. We'll let Marcel do what he likes until we feel we make a better decision than him. It's it's chaos. It's utter chaos. And until that changes and somebody puts in a real organisational structure at that level. You can see this sort of mess happening regularly mm. unless they strike lucky with somebody you can transcend it. Yeah. Um, after the break we'll have a chat about what's coming next this Leicester City second in the Premier League at the King Power Stadium on Sunday. We'll also hear from Gav Buckland on Harry Catterick. It is the Blue Room on Radio City Talk. We are back for the final part of the Blue Room here on Radio City Talk. It's your weekly show and in the final part of the show we did want to finish off by talking about something a little bit more positive on Tuesday this week. It was Harry Catterick's 100th birthday. He was an Everton manager who won two elite titles and the FA Cup in that famous final in 1966 as well. And earlier in the week in a special show over on Blue Room Extra, I sat down with Everton author and statistician Gavin Buckland, the author of the fantastic book Money Can't Buy Us Love, for a chat about the former Everton manager. Here's a segment of what he had to say. The thing I wanted to um, talk, start off by talking about in regards to Harry is that um, obviously the club had this fantastic banner at the stadium at the weekend before yeah. before the game to commemorate his, um, his century. And I was walking up to the, my seat, um, quite late getting in as usual, standing in my seat. And there are a few younger people who sit by me. And I, could, I heard a few people sort of say, who's that? Yeah, that's fair enough. And it just got me thinking on the way in. Do you think the club have... I've done enough to preserve and promote this fella's legacy down the years. Um, in a word, I don't. I don't think so. Um, but um, there is an opportunity, obviously, at Bramley Moor. But I think some t- circumstances have sort of, sort of put pay to that. I mean, we've only really started. You know, the internet age has sort of enabled us to like the nostalgia mm. boom. You know. So naturally, the gap that goes towards the eighties, doesn't it? And like in the sixties, people there are not around now, are they? You know, so it's it's that whole sixties era rather than Catrick. Uh, and I tend to remember the cup final in the '66 and the players. And Harry's no longer around, as you know, Harry died in 1985. So, yeah, I think the club maybe could have done more, but at the same time, I think the the hands were tied behind the back a little bit, you know. Uh, but there is a chance to redress that at uh, at Bramley Moor. I think uh, Harry is a mate. <laughs> It was a great article by Jamie Eaton, one of the who's one of the Everton Heritage mm. members in, in Toffee Web saying about Harry's like sort of DNA being throughout the club in that he joined he actually played for the club as people forget, you know. Um he joined the club when Dixie Dean and Tommy Lawton were there. Mm. Then he he played until the early fifties. Then he was a manager of the great era in the sixties and nineteen seventy. Then Three of his players, Colin Harvey, Howard Kendall, Joe Roll, obviously all associated with trophies and success at Goodson Park. So his, his sort of influence and presence sources is across three the three most successful mm. you know, times of the club, you know, and people forget that. I mean, if you you don't have Harry, you probably don't have Howard. Yeah. You know, uh Harry, you know, Harry bought Howard, he brought Joe and Connor through the youth ranks. And, you know, another manager may not have done that. Harry's policy from the mid sixties onwards was to use youth as, as much as possible, and that that came to fruition in nineteen seventy. Um, so yeah, his his influence at Everton goes way beyond just being a manager at nineteen sixty one to, to seventy three, and and his presence is a lot a lot more than that. I mean, why why do you think you know you rattle off some of the names there? 
yeah. in regards to people like Joe Royal and, and Howard Kendall, obviously, and, and Colin Harvey. And they are all, you know, pantheons in Everton's history, really. Yeah. And Harry's not, it doesn't, it doesn't seem as though he is cherished as much as some of them figures. Certainly by the, the, by the broader fan base and by, by fans who, who were around in that time and watched that team play. Why do you think? Why do you think that is? It, it, you know, there's a lot of talk about the way he shielded himself off. Is is, is that yeah. the entire reason? Do you um, think? I think there's. there's the, how long's this podcast? Do you want to make it four <laughs> hours? Like, uh, I think. I think there's a few things there. He obviously passed away quite early on. Yeah. Passed away in 1985. So I mean, if he'd have been wrong around a little bit longer, maybe it would be slightly different. So you only get the players' views of mm. Harry. And Harry was not necessarily popular with the with the players. I mean, Harry sometimes not necessarily popular with the supporters as well. Mm. A lot of them never forgive them for forgive him for selling Alan Ball, you know, mm. in nineteen seventy one. You know, and there's obviously the instance in nineteen sixty six where was he attacked or not attacked at, at Blackpool by Everton supporters? So uh, Harry wasn't, you know, he, he was he wasn't with supporters like a Bill Shankly was mm. with Liverpool, you know. Um, so he, he he sort of. You know, he had his, had his critics within with our own fan base, even when they were successful. Yeah. So th- there's lots of reasons why he's not celebrated, and and personality wise, he was maybe you know when when Tally started covering the game, you know, and a lot late sixties on the back of the World Cup when Harry's way of communicating was outmoded. Mm. You know, the way he sees it in the media was it was it was outmoded. You know, and um, I think that also proved costly for him. You know, he. He, he could, you know, he tell the media what he wanted to tell them, you know, but he, he wouldn't really go much beyond that. And in the late 60s, managers became to see be, be seen as the figureheads of the club. Mm. The club was the manager. You know, he looked at, you know, obviously Shankly had Tom Nevy, people like that, Matt Busby, they, they, you know, and then people who came after that, like Brian Clough, who were the, like the figure, the, the, the wider public saw them as as the fig, as the club. And Harry, that was never... That was Harry. Mm. Harry wasn't like that at all. He was. He was. So it was, was outmoded, you know. And I think that sort of carries on over the years. The way people regard him, you know. Yeah, really interesting chat with Gav there. Uh, Harry Catterick certainly seemed like a interesting fella. Um, you want to hear more about that? Like I said, it's on patreoncom slash Extra. Uh, very quickly before we come off air tonight, lads. Uh, Leicester City on Sunday. Um, how daunting is that, Mickey? Given all the things that's going on and how Perfect well they're playing mate, isn't it? at the moment. If there's two teams you don't want to play, it's them lot over the road and obviously Leicester. Because uh, I thought you know maybe a little bit of an international break. You know maybe their wheels might fall off at some point, which mm. is fatal. You know to think that about Leicester yeah. in the first place from what they've had uh, you know previous going on in the years horrible mates horrible game to play love the uh, business don't they oh mate they're yeah. flying they're flying they're full of energy uh, they're full of confidence everything they are everything that we aspire to be and obviously it's Brendan Rodgers as well ex-Liverpool um, one of the worst games that you could imagine but we've just got to all we can ask is Evertonians you've got to remember there's got to be 3,000 Evertonians down there if we don't come away with the points yeah you know that's fair enough they need to put a shift in they need to show the fans. They need to show a bit of heart, show a bit of desire. Evertonians will take that. They will. If they t- if they turn up and just roll over after belly tickled, they'll the, the, kick off again. But if they can go there and put a performance in, you just never know what happens. Do you know what I mean? It's not looking good, as I say. It's a horrible place to go. Um, put a performance in. Show the fans. Play for the shirt. You know, all cliche, but play for the shirt. Show a bit of desire. You know, and Evertonians will, you know, I'm not saying that they'll be satisfied with that, but they'll come away and... You know, have, have a little bit of hope, I suppose, at the end of the day, because that's we've got some horrendous games coming up, and just give we're looking for a platform, aren't we? Just give us a platform. I agree with Mickey. I think I think a little bit those it's a free hit because no one expects us to get not an ounce of it. No one expects us to do anything there. So if he was to string something out, out the blue, you know, it, it's a free hit in terms of you know if we get beat, people say, well, we all knew we were going to get beat anyway. You know, mm-hmm. if we can get a point then fantastic you know it's, it's a, we're a point better off than what we was yeah. um, I just think it's got it's got shades a little bit hasn't it when Unsworth took the team after Kuma had been, had been sacked and mm. we were all over the show and we couldn't deal with their pace and the power and you know I, I actually think this Leicester team now is probably best in the, in the league mm. if you watch mm. them play I think yeah. there's just they're so strong all over the pitch I mean you know the back four looks solid Evans and the lads the Turkish it yeah. looks, looks the two full backs bomb on you know the midfield three of uh, Yeamans um, and Didi and Madison, yeah. you know, <laughs> basically a bit of everything in there, you know, from ball playing to box to box to being able to just in front of the back four. Obviously, Jamie Vardy up front is a goal machine, you know, he's he scores, yeah. 
state energy, isn't it? And all lack of energy. That is really concerning with your your Snidelands and your Sigurdsons in that midfield, you know, who look real, weekend look really slow against Norwich. It's, you know, petrifying to think how they're going to play. I think as well, well, it's Vardy isn't up against Mina and we imagine Holgate. Well, I won't be surprised, I honestly won't be surprised if Keane and Coleman were back in the team for this one. That's it. I think that's an even bigger gamble because I, I, I wouldn't make that the, call the, the, myself. The, the, yeah. There's less pace with Mean and Keane yeah. than there is with Mean and Holgate. And yeah. one thing Leicester are good at is, is hitting people on the break and getting in behind. And you, yeah. you know, you, you do fear. Yeah. You do fear going a little bit there. But like I say, it's a free hit, and you know we've got to start picking points up on the rows, haven't? We? Because yeah. you know our home form is pretty, pretty tired. If we're being honest, you know, you look at the teams we've struggled against this year. You know the way it's going. We're going to need to start picking points away from home because we're not going to be a hundred percent going into the new year. We, we could be nervously looking over our shoulders, you know, yeah. or nervously languishing in a position we don't want to be in. So we've got to start identifying and, and find a way of picking up points on the road because it's going to be crucial for I think us. The cameras being there might just might help us. Do you know what I mean? The fact that it's going to be a game that's going to be screened live on television, players there are probably not going to want to let themselves down, are they? So hopefully they'll put it for four because yeah. it's there for the nation. I, I to think. See, the, I think. I think the first 10, 15 minutes can be crucial, aren't they? I think if we can go there in the first 10, 15 minutes and look solid and give very little away, it might give us a platform and a bit yeah. of confidence to build on. If we go there and concede early, you do, you do, you know, you do panic and think the floodgates could open because we don't come from behind. We don't come from yeah. behind, and you look at the last couple of games when we've conceded the goal. Apart from the Southampton game, we 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 tend to just crumble, haven't we? You know, we we tend to crumble. So you you do fear that you know the first 10, 15 is going to be absolutely massive if we can. Go there and give very little away, get a bit of a platform and a bit of confidence, probably because I imagine confidence is probably quite low at the minute. We might have a chance of getting something if we go there and concede early. The writing's on the wall, and it, it could it could be a bit of a hammer. Yeah, I'm not even going to ask for predictions. <laughs> I, don't, I don't go there. I don't go there this week, uh, lads. It's been. Massively appreciated. Obviously, not the, the most positive subject matter, but uh, we plough on anyway. Thanks very much to Connor, to Mickey, to Dave, and to Gav Buckland, and to Andy Hunter as well, of course. Uh, we'll have your weekly show next week here on Radio City Talk. It'll all be Derby focused then. Things don't get much better for the Blues, do they? We'll speak to you then. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full time, part time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.